Hey, serious privacy enthusiasts, ready to ace your AI data privacy game? Oh, you bet, Kate. Dive into the world of TrustSark's Nemity Research, your go-to for staying on top of regulatory developments in AI and privacy. Seriously, Nimity Research maintains a massive privacy and regulatory database featuring expert guidance and analysis from legal and privacy pros. So save time on privacy research, cut your compliance timeline, and reduce costs with Nimity Research. Get your regulatory research and insight at your fingertips with a free trial. So get ahead in privacy compliance and start that free trial today. Go to trustark.com slash nimity dash free dash trial. This is Serious Privacy by Trustark. Here are your hosts, Paul Breitbart and Kay Royal. On this week's episode, we take a broader look at one of the most important issues of the digital age, copyright. From my youth, I remember Kazaa and Napster, where music and movies were ubiquitously available. More recently, there was a big intense debate on Article 17 of the new EU Copyright Directive. But what is copyright actually? Where is it coming from? The man that knows all about this debate is Glenn Moody, who recently published a book on copyright called World Culture. Glenn is a British technology writer who wrote previously about bioinformatics and open-source software. You may also know him from articles he wrote for Wired and Ars Technica. My name is Paul Breitbart. And I'm Kay Royal, and welcome to Serious Privacy. Today, we have a wonderful treat for you. As Paul mentioned, I'm Lynn Moody, and Glenn is completely unprepared for the unexpected question. So, Glenn, you ready? Well, apparently I can't be, but <laughs> I will be as ready as I can be, given the circumstances, yeah. How do you want to be remembered? I suppose we all want to try to make the world a better place in some way. And in many ways, my journalism has been about that. So I have written a number of books trying to tell people about good things and bad things. And before my latest book, which I'll talk about perhaps in a minute, there were two others, which were really about the good things. One was Rebel Code, which is a history of open source. I was lucky enough to be the first person to write pretty much a complete history of free software and open source. This idea that uh, you write software collaboratively and then just give it away, it actually is better software and it runs the world in a way that commercial software can't. And in fact, we've seen open so source basically runs internet and practically every computer apart from a few desktop models. The second book I wrote was about bioinformatics and genomics. And this really was the kind of ideas of open source applied to biology. The Human Genome Project, which was about sequencing the complete genome of a human being, also adopted this idea, well, if we just give all our data away, wonderful things will happen. And they did. So those first two books were about how if you share things, we all benefit. Unfortunately, my latest book, which is World Culture, is about people trying to stop you sharing things and the bad things that happen because of that. Oh, very nice. Very thorough. I don't think he was unprepared for that question at all. <laughs> Paul, Paul, you and I might have to ha have to build it up. No, no, no. I have, <laughs> I have a follow-up here, Glenn, because I want to know, yep. do you then want to be the one to be remembered for sharing things or for keeping things secret? Oh, well, I try to share things as much as possible. In fact, my last book, my most recent one, is released under a Creative Commons CC0 license. 
Impressive. which means that people can not only download it for free, they can even sell copies, as far as I'm concerned, or they can cut up into small pieces and then just sort of sprinkle it in the air. So, I mean, you can do anything with my book now. So I, I do try to share. Well, that's not a nice thing to do with books. Well, unless you're, unless you're a perform- if you're a performance artist, maybe you do something interesting by cutting my book up. I'm not entirely sure. But. Well, who knows? Who knows? I love it. All right, Paul. So how do I, how do I want to be remembered? Yes. Probably just as a good friend, as a nice person. I think that's, uh, I mean, doing the great things in life, of course, absolutely. That's why I've spent so much time in politics, as our listeners know. But, you know, you can only make very small steps. And I think in the end, friendship is what counts most. It is. I promise to remember you that way, but I will probably die first. You never know. It's getting very dark. It's getting very dark here all of a sudden. <laughs> all of a sudden. Okay. So with me, uh, I went back and I looked at my my book for it. I'll tell you the first question, the first answer that came to mind is basically exactly what I wrote in a book. I just want to be heard as someone who inspired change in others. Yeah. Because I, I truly believe if if you only impact one person and they effectuate change, you are impacting the world. Yep. Yeah, things can snowball. Exactly. Absolutely. They really can. Okay, so, man, let's get on. You gave us a great introduction to the books you've written and the purposes behind them. So I like to give Paul the the honor of the first question. But, Paul, do you have a first question? If you don't, I'll dive right in. Oh, I have many first questions, <laughs> but I guess I can only have one. But I'm I'm actually excited to to talk about copyright because it is not a a topic that we come across a lot, but it does have a right. lot of implications in the in the digital era. But while preparing for the interview with, with Lynn, one of the things noticed is that copyright apparently has a 300-year foundation. Yeah. And I never realized that that is the case. So maybe when we start talking about copyright, we can start at the beginning 300 years ago. Indeed. It's not, not only 300 years old. Copyright is also the Brits' fault, like most problems in the world today. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> because the first modern copyright law was passed in 1710, is known as the Statute of Anne because it was passed under Queen Anne. And at the time, it was pretty revolutionary because it was this idea that a creator should be able to control what happens to something they create. Now, it was very limited at that time in two important ways. One, it only really applied to books and a few other printed items because the Mm -hmm. idea of anything else didn't really apply. But the most important way it was limited was that copyright originally was for 14 years with an optional extension of another 14 years. So the maximum you could protect your works at the time was for 28 years. And that's interesting because what it meant was if I published a book during my lifetime, After 28 years maximum, that book would then enter what's called the public domain. Mm -hmm. And that means that anyone could do anything with that book. Now, what's interesting is that in the 300 years since the Statute of Anne, the so-called term of copyright, the length uh, for which it actually applies, has got longer and longer and longer until today, most countries around the world, not all, but most, have a term of the life of the creator plus an additional 70 years. Now, what that means is, that when somebody creates something, copyright will last so long that no one alive when that work is created will ever see that work enter the public domain. Now, why does that matter? Well, because copyright is a kind of bargain. The the bargain goes like this. Uh, The government say to a creator, look, 
we will give you a monopoly in the copying of your work, which we will protect with our police and all the instruments of state that we have, in return for which you will place this work in the public domain at the end of this period of 28 years originally. So basically, we the government protects it for 10 years, 28 years. After that, everyone gets to use it. Mm-hmm. Now, that bargain has been rather diluted to the point of meaninglessness because now when a work enters uh, copyright, it will never enter the public domain in the lifetime of anyone at the time that it appears. So all the things created today, unless they use special licenses as I did, will never enter public domain during people's lifetimes. So that bargain, if you like, has been cheated upon because it's no longer the case that you get the public domain after a certain number of years because you're never going to live that long. So it's quite interesting how the idea that copyright is good and therefore more copyright must be better has led to what I would regard as a perversion of that original bargain. Wow. <laughs> it makes me silent straight away. But yeah, when I've, when I produce something, when I've created something, shouldn't I then also have the right to benefit from it, at least as long as I live? Well, I would agree. Yeah. But you need to think, well, uh, what is the best way of doing that? And, and there are two aspects to my new book that we can talk about in some detail. The first one is that I look at the extent to which copyright does actually reward creators. And it turns out that 99.9% of creators get a really lousy deal. I mean, people cannot live from their writing or from their painting or for whatever they do. They have to take jobs on the side. So if you judge copyright on its own terms as supposedly enabling artists to thrive even, it's failed. So I would say, well, okay, if it's failed, then maybe we should look at other ways of doing it. So I agree mm-hmm. absolutely. As an artist and creator, you should be rewarded. and Indeed, society wants you to be rewarded so you create further. So the question then becomes, how can we encourage you to do that and reward you for that creativity? Copyright isn't doing it, so why are we keeping it? So it's a bit like communism. The, the idea is nice, but the execution is lousy. Well, the, 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 the motive is absolutely justified. I mean, artists should be rewarded. But we've come up with this system, which, uh, as, as I say, the second side of things we can talk about, I would maintain is actually positively harmful, particularly for the internet and the digital world, and specifically, drumroll please, for privacy. Nice cliffhanger, Kate. Well, I, I was going into uh, copyright is automatically affixed to any works that are set in form. They yep. don't apply to saying things out loud unless you record them or something or write them down. I get it. But movies are copyrighted, aren't they? So when you say that artists don't make copyrighted works, I understand movies are protected by more intellectual property laws at all in many cases. Trademarks perhaps are in there. They may actually have patents on some of it. (laughs) But in essence, they're protected by copyright, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. And what I actually said, just to recap a little bit, I said that 99.9% of artists don't make money. Okay, that makes sense. So you're absolutely right. There are a few people making millions, and mostly it's the intermediary companies who make the millions. Yeah. So there are a few token artists, the big names, who make huge amounts of money, and they are there as a kind of decoy. You know, it's the kind of, oh, look, a squirrel. Because if you can point to people making huge sums of money as a writer or as a musician or as an actor, 
then it makes it easy for the copyright world to say, well, look, copyright, copyright's working fine. Look at all these millionaires. But the reason they say that is they don't want you to look at the fact that they actually have hugely profitable industries that rake in 90, 95% of the money that actually is created by the writers and the singers and the musicians and the, the actors. So the people who make the money are the creative people. Lots of people are making money, but they certainly aren't the creators. And in fact, if you look at the, the, you know, the businesses around creativity, the CEOs are making hundreds of millions of dollars, but they they're are. not writing any books. They're not writing any music. They're not starring any films. But the structure of copyright today is such that it leads to this exploitation of a monopoly. And monopolies, right. as most people know, are bad things. And this mm -hmm. is a very good example of why, because it means that it's not possible to have any competition. So you can't have any kind of alternatives. You have to basically pay what they ask. And because of that, companies are legally allowed to run this monopoly, and therefore they can legally set very high prices. And if you look at the profit margins of many companies, they're very high in this field. So as I say, they are the ones who are making the money. Most artists are not. And, and I, I, I have a lot of friends who are artists and who are IP attorneys, including on copyright. And they're always saying you have to honor the copyright laws. You shouldn't go beyond them. You shouldn't even use a quote from a book without permission. Different things, unless you fall under one of the exceptions for education and things like that. But basically, and I don't recall if you had a suggestion for how long copyright law should protect them, but let's go with the old version of 28 years. So in 28 years, if you're still living, thankfully for medicine there, but you would be okay with someone printing your entire, and I know you, you jumped through some hoops to make your work so able to use, but you would be okay on someone republishing your entire book under their. Well, yes. I mean, they, they can already do that. So it's what I want people to do. And in fact, you were saying, what, well, what does the term be? I mean, I, I think to be consistent, you know, the term has to be zero years because anything else is all arbitrary. As I say, the central question is not how do we fix copyright, but how right. do we pay artists? Right. Once mm -hmm. you start looking at that, you don't get so bogged down in the preoccupations of your lawyer friends who have spent a lot of their life learning obscure things about right. copyright and who are paid lots of money to tell you obscure things about copyright. So I would suggest may have a vested interest in perpetuating that system. <laughs> they, they might. They might. They are all also artists. I, I believe that many artists who have the ability to do so probably go into law because they're fascinated with the protection of their work. And they're paid better as lawyers than as they artists. They're absolutely paid better at lawyers, <laughs> and they don't have to work a full-time week if they don't yeah, choose to do so. Yeah, and that's wrong. That's not how it should be. <laughs> we should be rewarding the creative people, not the lawyers. I, I absolutely agree. So let's turn this back around to the privacy interest. As, as you <laughs> said earlier, drum roll, privacy. <laughs> and I just rolled right over that and kept asking other questions. Let's go back to privacy. Tell yep. me how this impacts or okay. frees privacy. So what we've talked about so far, a lot of other people have said these kind of things because in the past, you know, people have said, well, maybe we should share more. Maybe artists, you know, should work with other artists. Something new has happened, though, which is why privacy is actually impacted. And it's, it's really remarkable that we don't, pay attention to this, which is that we are living through a unique transition, a transition that will only happen once in any civilization. And that transition is from an analog world to a digital world. Right. 
Now, we've just kind of accepted this. We think, well, that's progress, blah, blah, blah. But it's not. It is a unique experience that we're going through. We are really privileged. Now, what's the difference between those two worlds? Okay, so an analog world is basically a world of things. A digital world is a world of data, zeros and ones. Things are very hard to make copies of. One of the reasons why copyright worked in 1710 and indeed for the last kind of 250 years is that if you're going to make a copy of a book, you need a great hulking printing press. You need people who can use that printing press. So it's very hard to make a copy. It's very easy for the police to find it and smash it and stop you making further copies. Now, if you fast forward to 1990, 2000, we have digital machines, computers, and now smartphones, which can make perfect copies of any digital file instantly for zero cost and then send Mm -hmm. them to anyone in the world instantly. Yeah. So we have gone from a world of scarcity where it's very hard to make copies of things to a world of abundance where it is almost trivially easy to make copies of things. So the copyright world around about 1990 woke up to the fact that this was beginning to happen and they didn't like it because before they could smash the printing presses and stop people making copies. You can't stop people making a copy on your computer or on your smartphone so easily. And so they tried to come up with ways to stop that. And a lot of the legislation that has been passed, particularly in America and in Europe, is a forlorn attempt to make water unwet in the sense that they're trying to stop people copying things which are inherently copyable. In fact, the internet itself works by making copies. When you send an email or when you download something from the internet, multiple copies are made of those files. The internet could not work if it didn't make copies of all the files that it's handling. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that you can pass laws stopping people making copies is really absurd if you want to have the internet because the internet is based on making copies. Okay, so you've got this idea that it's really easy to make copies of files on the internet. So what does the copyright industry do? It says, well, if it's easy, then we've got to be able to check whether people are doing that. So the only way we can do that is if we carry out surveillance on the internet But because they might be doing it when we're not looking, we've clearly got to do it all the time of everyone. So if you're trying to enforce copyright in a digital world, you have to carry out 100% all the time surveillance. So privacy can't exist in that state. I think I agree with that. And we don't want that, of course, that 100% surveillance all of the time. And if I recall, there is quite a quite a bit of case law, uh, especially on downloading of music and films and, and e-books uh, from, from torrent sites and in the old days from Napster, which was seen as a, a breach of copyright. In the Netherlands, this was always slightly different because we have the right of a home copy and we even pay for the right to have that home copy. Every carrier, whether it is a CD or an, an e-reader or a laptop or a smartphone, you pay a surcharge to a special fund, which is then redistributed among artists. And to make it very, very shocking, that's an amount of €7.30 for a smartphone, €2.30 for a laptop. So it's not it's not massive amounts of money. At least it's, it's, it's some sort of compensation. So for a long time, it was also thought, it still actually is the case, downloading in the Netherlands would be allowed. 
even if it is copyright protected information, as long as you don't re-offer it, which is, of course, the problem with all the torrent websites where to download, you also need to upload. Are those kind of approaches part of the solution that, that you would be looking at? Have these kinds at all? No. Okay. Because, in fact, <laughs> you asked. Because. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> what you described is very interesting because they are attempts by the copyright industry to either stop people doing things or to make them pay for it, which, you know, frankly is absurd. And it's interesting you talk about downloading because, as you probably know, the, the European Union passed something called the Copyright Directive, which institutes upload filters. It will mm -hmm. require major sites like Facebook, Google, you know, TikTok, whatever, to spy on all uploads. So your downloads may be okay, but your uploads are going to be spied on because the requirement of Article 17 of the Copyright Directive is that the large platforms must stop unauthorized material being uploaded. Otherwise, they lose their safe harbor protections under copyright. Mm -hmm. And so the only way that can be done is through these upload filters, which are going to be basically algorithms. They're going to be automated filters, which just look at everything that's uploaded. So that is by law going to be placed in operation in, I'm afraid, in Holland too, you know. Yes, I'm, I'm well aware. And I recall the Article 17 copyright directive discussions as well. Let me be bold here and make a prediction. This article won't survive a challenge before the Court of Justice of the European Union. <laughs> Be because it interferes with the... Well, there's already been one challenge. Yeah. Poland brought one, and the court said it's acceptable, but with the very strong and confusing proviso that legal material must not be blocked. So they are calling for perfect upload filters that never make a mistake. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And those exist. We also, don't, we also know that. Yeah. In the, but the underlying premise has logic. I mean, I'm not usually the negative one here, but <laughs> the the underlying premise has logic because when you buy a work of art, a, and we're going to go with printed works of art or online works of art, the the clips, the movies, the the books, the things, you have the right when you purchase it to have a copy. So that's logical. When I buy software nowadays, it has to be downloaded. They even allow me to download it to more than one device as long as it's the same owner. So it's interesting in that, that when you buy a work of art, you have the right to own that work of art. It's you yours. Don't. You don't own it. You don't own it. You have a license to it. No, you, you have, have a license, a license to, it. to it. That's a big argument that, that yeah. forced with Kindle and everybody about the books people bought and things like that. Yes, yep. I agree. But what I'm saying is they're not trying to stop people from legitimately having their purchase copy of the art, whether it's a license to watch it or whatever it is, licensed to use it. They're not toughening that. They're trying to stop people from making copies of it and then spreading it further out in the world. So the underlying premise is actually pretty decent. They're trying to stop this digital proliferation that you were telling us about. People can make a copy and shoot it wherever they want. So yep. they're trying to limit the illegal activity to the personal activity of the one copy to your device or whatever you're doing but stop that other. But going through the provisions to stop the other is where we run into problems. Yeah. I mean, A, I don't agree that it's reasonable, but if you do think it's reasonable, you then hit up against the fact that you have to have surveillance to right. stop that. So, I mean, my solution 
is that, you know, it's not reasonable, so we don't need the upload filters. Their solution is we need upload filters. Oh, what do we do now? And yeah. you know, privacy is thrown out of the window. That's why I keep saying that, you know, if you don't look at things through the prism of copyright, then a lot of these problems go away. You know, the, the central problem is how do we remunerate artists fairly? Right. It's not how do we make a broken system of copyright vaguely work. So you, you know? would throw the whole kit and caboodle out the window and start fresh? I would. How many artists, I mean, I'm sure you've talked about this topic often. Uh, do you get pushback from artists on this? Somewhat. Okay. Tell us more. But that's because... Uh, the copyright industry has done a fantastic job in implanting the idea. Yeah, I'm planting the idea in politicians <laughs> and particularly in creators that copyright is necessary to be a creator and make money. And what's ironic is it is these companies that plant that idea in the creators' minds that make most of the money. Oh yeah, I mean, they are they are making fools of the people and then convincing these people they are their friends. I mean. The betrayal is so deep, it's astonishing. But in many ways... You're right. You're absolutely right. When people want to publish something until you got to the self-publishing, which they're still an intermediary, they have to go through an intermediary in order to get it published, to get it out to the public, whether it's a book or whatever it is. And so you're right. It's not the artist making the tons of money, even if it's wildly successful. Yeah. So why do they accept it? Why do they defend copyright, which is causing them? Well, brainwashing in, in a cultural sense that, I mean, you know, I, I know it's true also in America, but, you know, in the UK, the copyright industry keeps pushing for school children to be taught the value of copyright. I mean, it is literal brainwashing. They are supposed mm. to be taught to respect intellectual property. As but we in, don't in, teach them privacy. We don't teach them how to be safe well, there's online. No, there's, no, we, there's no money in that. Why would they do that? Yeah, you're right. It's we're absurd. not teaching them the important things, the history yeah. and the art. We're teaching yeah. them, oh, it doesn't matter about art, but if you are going either it's way, just, copyright. Well, it's teaching them about money, basically, because it has a you know value for yeah. people who can afford <laughs> lobbyists, and the lobbyists are very effective. I have a big problem with our educational system, so that'll be a whole nother show. Absolutely. So what would be the monetary solution? Because okay, so that, if, that's artists, the real question. if you say to the artist, you don't have any more copyright, uh, I think a lot of people will scream, <laughs> what about my income? Even though it is a tiny percentage of what they yeah. may be well, uh, I want owed. to give them more. That's what I'm looking yeah. for. I'm looking for a solution that will give them, you know, 10 times more, 100 times more. So the issue is, how do we do that? Now, as I've described, the internet is what has caused this, inverted commas, problem in the sense that because of the internet, people can actually make copies and send them anywhere. But I also think that's the solution because you were saying that, you know, if you want to publish a book or uh, write music, whatever, you need to go through intermediaries. Mm -hmm. Well, that was true until, you know, 10 or 20 years ago, but it's not true now because all you really need is just some kind of minimal online presence and, and a payment system. And those infrastructures are in place. And not only that, if you look at things like Kickstarter and Patreon, you've got not just a, an infrastructure for payment, you have an infrastructure for people who will support artists in advance. Because one of the weird things is at the moment, you only pay an artist after they've created something. So they have to spend 10 years of their life writing their great American novel or years writing their fantastic symphony. And then if they're lucky, they get paid. So if we can move to a system whereby they get paid before they create, 
They won't have all the kind of sense of, well, you know, what am I going to do to feed my children? And one of the big advantages of moving to a system based around fan support, in other words, people using Patreon, people using Kickstarter, is that you can actually pay forward. You say, I love your work. I want more of it. I recognize, you know, you have a right to a decent wage, so I will pay you $10 every month. Because I trust that you're going to write, you know, another masterpiece or if not a masterpiece, another great work that I love. And when it comes out, then that will be given away for free because at that point, the artist has already been paid before by all the fans. And if it's given away for free, you don't need copyright. You don't need upload filters. So by taking a step back and turning things on their head and paying in advance, you don't need copyright because there isn't this need for a punitive system against people who haven't paid. And in fact, there's an advantage of giving away your work for free because you can recruit more people who will then pay you in advance. So your work, your past work, becomes a kind of marketing tool for your future work. And you actually want people to share it. So how would that work for a bookstore? Because I still like, I mean, I, I do read a lot of ebooks, but I still like a nicely produced copy, yep. hard copy of a book. Okay. And I like brick and mortar yep. stores with, Somebody who can give me advice. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those are analog. I'm talking about digital books or digital artifacts. So mm -hmm. there is still a market for people who want these digital artifacts turned into analog artifacts. But if you had no copyright, you would then have a competitive system whereby anyone could print that digital version. And so you would actually have costs coming down. You would have a choice of formats. You would have different kinds of books. So I would argue you would probably have a greater choice for your beloved, and I love books too, I'm surrounded by hundreds of them here, uh, beloved books, because it wouldn't be a monopoly anymore. Okay. As the artist, as the author of a, say of a book, I want to have a say on the font that is being used and the weight of the paper and yep. the yep. whole okay. look and feel exactly. of the book, because yep. that's important. And I don't want somebody else to go away with that and, and make... Make something, okay. something rubbish yeah, out I agree. Of it. And that is a business opportunity because what it means is that you can actually get together with a publisher and produce an authorized version. And you say, this is the typeface I want. This is the paper quality I want. This is the cover I want. It doesn't stop other people producing cheapo versions for people who can't afford that or who don't care. But there will be an authorized version that will let you make money because you'll be able to charge a premium price because it's authorized alongside all the digital versions alongside all of the, the fan support that you get. So actually, I would argue that there are more opportunities for making money in that system. Mm -hmm. I'm still skeptical on the whole thing of someone writing a book and then someone else can just copy it wholesale and produce it literally the next day and nobody knows who the actual author is. Is it this person, this person, this person, or that person? They do. They do. Again, the internet solves that. You can't hide things on the internet. If you have written something and somebody then takes it and claims it's yours, You know, it takes a few hours for someone to actually say, well, no, you know, I can prove with these date stamps, timestamps, that you've just taken it from this site here. But if there's no law that protects you from copying it, who cares? Well, again, that's what I just said in terms of the authorized version. Your fans care. Your fans aren't going to read cheapo ripoffs. They will want to support you by reading mm -hmm. the authorized version, be it a digital version, which has your, you know, official imprimatur on it, or indeed, Hard copy versions, and they are the ones who will send you money. You don't care about the people who really don't care about your works. I mean, it's it's you know self consistent. The people who care will actually be fair to you. They will you know play fair. 
I might have a couple hundred people who care about something I write, but if Oprah ripped it off and printed it herself, she has a few hundred thousand million people who would care. I got a feeling my book really wouldn't matter being published by me. It would be my book being published by her. No, but your next book would, though. (laughs) Not if she publishes it under her name. Nobody knows it's under me. Well, no, no, the point is, okay, if she publishes it, as I say, people would soon find out because it would be a great scandal. I mean, you know, in all the newspapers, yeah. if we get free publicity, and therefore publishers would probably be beating a path to your door saying, you know, we'd really like to publish your next one. And you could set the terms for it. I will go back and say the the idea of supporting artists as they're they're working, as long as they have, you know, shown that they have the capacity or the ability to produce something you like. I think that's a great idea. I think I'm just going to have to be the skeptic this time on the show. And that's usually not my role. I'm usually <laughs> the positive Pollyanna that that says, yes, that works. Let's make it happen. It sounds logical. It sounds like something that should be able to work. I just don't know if, it, if in yeah, our but world. The point can. is that there are 300 years of history uh, yeah. against the idea. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's, you know, we may also be indoctrinated, yeah. Kate. We may also I know. Be I have been fully indoctrinated. I'm an American. <laughs> I completely own up to it. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But I love the idea of it. Yeah, the thing is, I do not really like the way copyright is dealt with right now. No, not at all. Maybe, maybe I'm not completely convinced by your proposal, Glenn, but maybe we should agree that at least we should go back to Anslow and, and go back to that 28 year instead of my lifetime plus 70 or 75 years plus prolongations and, and, and whatsoever. And I do fully appreciate the need to support artists while they are working yeah. on something. And I think it is important to contribute to people's Patreons or, or indeed other yeah. alternative platforms mm. that exist. There are many, also many national ones, yep. including and for podcast makers. Too. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. We never even discussed Kay and I whether we should set up a Patreon for the Serious Privacy podcast. Well, there's the big chance then. Right. The the big chance. Maybe, maybe we should. Maybe this should be the trigger. But but I do agree with a lot that we've said. It's just, I don't know how we get the solution across. I agree that the the internet and the digital world offers profound opportunity for artists. But as you say, they also simultaneously offer profound opportunities for government surveillance Mm. of of people. I agree with that. I don't know what the solution is. I like the direction you're going. The nice thing is that you don't have to make a kind of binary jump between copyright and non-copyright. Because as we've already seen, lots of people are supporting through Kickstarter and Patreon artists, you know, today. So Mm -hmm. why don't we just encourage more artists to adopt that? Why don't we just encourage more people amongst the public to try it out? And eventually, you know, maybe copyright will just wither away as manifestly not such a good system as the other one. It might take us 300 years, like it took 300 years to get to the point. You've got to think long term, yeah. Right, right, it (laughs) might. But then again, in the world of of, that we live in now, the digital world, timeframes are shortened. Astronomical. 300 digital years. Yeah, that's right. Maybe 30 years if we're lucky. <laughs> they are. Very- I love the idea of it because I agree. I, I think there's something broken with the copyright system. One of the points that we had was how did it impact things over the pandemic? And the first thing that came to mind for me is I cosplay Maleficent and I read books online for kids, but I had to make sure that I found the books that the authors gave the permission or those that were already in the public domain for Auntie Mal 
to read books to kids. Um, it was a challenge to find the ones that I thought the kids would enjoy having mm-hmm. read today. So I agree. I think it also hurt things under the pandemic, but I don't think that's probably the point you meant. But that was the point that came to my mind. No, no. The, 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 <laughs> again, because that shows it's absurd. If copyright yeah. is stopping you reading to children, right. there's something wrong with copyright. I mean, yeah. copyright should encourage you to do that. So if copyright says, no, actually you can't, that's, I would say, another data point that copyright is broken. I agree. I could go into a library and I could read to children all day long on whatever book it is that they want to read, but I couldn't read it and record it and publish it online or even read it live online no. because it could be captured and recorded and shared without someone's permission. I, in this, I'm like you. I don't give a crap how much me reading is anti-maleficent is going to be copied. And by the way, Disney would probably stop me from using anti-maleficent. <laughs> but it's a case of, I didn't care how often people recorded it or watched it or shared or did whatever, because the purpose of it is exactly. to entertain the children. Yeah, it goes back to did our I initial conversation. Did I just wrap myself back around to you? <laughs> well, you just agree with me. It's okay. I think so. I think I did. <laughs> Because that's okay. what we said at the beginning about, you know, trying to make the world a better place. I mean, yeah. you want to make the world a better place. And copyright says, copyright says, no, you know, you can't do that because copyright is more important. Exactly. I got to come up with another so- anti-something. It can't be Maleficent. <laughs> Disney would smack me down so hard. Our podcast would die. Okay. So the new book of Glenn Moody, World Culture, How Big Content Uses Technology and the Law to Lock Down Culture and Keep Creators Poor is available for free everywhere where you get your ebooks. I saw it on Amazon. I saw it on Google Books. And I'm sure there are many more places where to find a digital copy. Hard copies are available as well, if I understand correctly. For those who want a nice paper version of this book, um, go and read it. Because this is a discussion that we will need to have in the next couple of years. Kay and I will start a discussion on whether or not to open a Patreon account. And on that note, thank you very much for joining another episode of Serious Privacy. If you like the podcast, please rate and review us. Send us feedback via LinkedIn. Find us under Serious Privacy or on Twitter at Podcast Privacy. You'll find K on Twitter as Heart of Privacy and myself as EuroPolB. Until next week, goodbye. Bye, y'all. That was Serious Privacy. Hey listeners, looking to navigate the realm of responsible AI data privacy governance? Well, look no further. Absolutely. TrustArc is paving the way, offering a complete approach to managing privacy risks in the world of AI. TrustArc allows organizations to confidently use AI with personal or sensitive data, moving forward efficiently and cost-effectively. And here's the kicker. Protect your company and data with TrustArc's privacy-driven compliance software. Because they're... Deep automation streamlines data privacy governance, cutting your time to compliance with automated data mapping, risk assessments, and regulatory reporting. TrustArc's enhancements go way beyond that, helping organizations understand AI better and align cross-functionally on data governance, privacy, and security. Plus, they provide guidance on privacy governance for AI and how to mitigate risks using frameworks like NIST AI, OECD AI, and the Nemesis Privacy Management Accountability Framework. If you're aiming for compliance excellence, check out Privacy Central, seriously one of my best parts. 
It uses automation and privacy expertise to understand your requirements, build and manage your privacy program with ease. Oh, I agree. Privacy Central is your go-to to measure your progress toward responsible AI data compliance. Stay ahead with TrustArc's Privacy Central. Visit TrustArc.com now. Ask me and Paul if you have any questions.